0: You're listening to the Look Great Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look great naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, Eric Bach. You're your host of the Look Great Naked podcast, and today I bring on Luca, host of our coach, ex ball player, educator and gym owner of the world-famous Vigor Underground Fitness and Performance Center. Luca is one of the top coaches in the world. He's been instrumental not only in my success, but being a thought leader in the industry for over two decades. You can find more about Luca at L-U-K-A, Hosevar, H-O-C-E-V-A-R, on Instagram and directly on YouTube. Now, in this conversation, We hit a number of topics, with the primary one being how to become an athlete again. You see, many people with athletic backgrounds and past really struggle to get dialed in with their health and performance for the long-term. They run into injuries. They run into issues in terms of mindset. They may not be able to adapt their training around all the other stressors that they have directly in their life. And for many people, this leads to feel like a failure, like you're not quite meeting the expectations for what you have been before and what you possibly could be again. And so we dig in both into the mindset aspect of coming from an athletic background, But also the importance of incorporating athletic principles directly into the training that you do, because it's not just about being able to perform like an athlete when you're competitive, being able to perform like an athlete, to be agile, to be nimble, to have conditioning, to be able to put your foot out in front of you. These are all crucial things that lead you to not only be able to look your best, but perform your best and stay healthy with your life over the long term. Also, we dig into a few major industry issues in terms of how people are so polarizing today in order to try to make a point, and how it's actually hurting people when it comes to helping people be able to transform their life through fitness. So you are going to absolutely love this episode. As you're watching, hey, do us a favor, drop us over a link, whether you're catching on Spotify, watching on YouTube, on Apple, whatever it is, share that directly on your Instagram stories, tag me at Bach Performance and Luca, L-U-K-A, H-O-C-E-V-A-R. If you're enjoying this episode and I will select one person, drop them a nice gift over from my friends over at Legion Athletics so you can take your training to the next level. Let's hit it. Cover a couple things today. I want to talk about first unlocking your human potential because you are somebody who you know, I've come to known as, as a high performer. You do not cut corners. You do things the right way. You commit to excellence and and you make it happen. Um, Also, I love your overall perspective in terms of training, how to maintain and and become an athlete again. I think that's something that's really unique that you do. Whereas, you know, we see a lot of ebbs and flows in the fitness industry where people will go, just kind of hop on the trend, right? Everyone's a freaking low volume Mike Mentzer fan right now. <laughs> you know, like that's what it is, which, you know, not, not necessarily a bad thing, but like you're true to who you are and you're still diverse within your belief system to be able to know and grow and be able to go from that point. And so what we talk a lot about specifically is how to look right naked without living in the gym. Performance is always a huge piece of that, but also the benefits of obviously being able to look, feel and perform your best because we all know that that can translate and jump into so many different areas of overall human development and improvement. So,
1: that sound cool? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'll I'll riff on this all day. I get fired awesome, up about dude. That. Yeah. Man, you're a lifelong athlete. Tell me about the basketball days. I mean, there's there's a lot to say there, but I'm going to I'm going to try to encapsulate it as much as I can. But it was funny because you know, I probably I think the first time I started playing basketball was I don't probably like seven, six, seven years old. Um, I did this basketball camp. So, there's a guy in Slovenia, his name is Juris Dos, who's like a legend. He had these basketball camps, and I'd go. Um, and you know, here's the funny part about it, right? Everybody will say stuff like oh, you know, you fell in love with the sport. I was a scrawny little short kid. You know, I'm, I'm from the Balkans. If you look at like people from the Balkans, they're very tall. On a, you know, like when you look at the yeah. league and you got Nikola Jokic and Doncic and, you know, Zurich and all these guys. And so it, it basically, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. You know, how I became, I, I always tell this story of, uh, if anybody's read the book, uh, Be, so Good they Can, uh, Be So Good They Can't Ignore You, right, by Cal, Cal Newport. And he talks about the passion hypotheses. Well, basketball was that for me. It wasn't like I just fell in love with ball. You know, it was almost like I had a chip My shoulder because I didn't get picked. I was the shortest kid. I wasn't that good, and it pissed me off. And you know, and I worked really hard. Um, And the harder I worked, the better I became. That's what got me more passionate about it, about the sport. Which is what I think happens with most skills. You know, most things that you do. But that, but that became a big. I I, I got really serious about it. at Like about 11 years old. Um, You know, practice every day. I went to this team at 12 called Olympia, which was the best team in the country. And in Europe, everything is like junior teams it's not like the u.s where high you know you play for high school basketball or now or aau obviously now but like it's let's say there's a pro team then there's an under 18 under 16 under right like there's under xyz age teams and that's really where the best competition happens and same thing you know from from that age I, I played on the best team but i was like i had to fight tooth and nail to make it to even the the 12, right? Like, oh, this is the 12 that's going to play for the national championships cuz that team would win every year. And, you know, I'd literally like kill myself just being like in the 12, you know? And then then you'd work hard like, "Man, I want to get more minutes. I want to get more minutes." So, that that was kind of like the process, but but ball really was was a big part of my life. I'll actually interject like where fitness came into it cuz it's a, it's a cool story. So my my yeah. mom at age 13 when I was 13 opened a gym and um with her friend and she basically she'd work at the bank half the day. And then she'd be done with the bank. She'd go and run the gym. Her friend would run in the morning. And that's when I started lifting weights. And I had some, you know, really, I would say only thing I could call it is luck, I guess. Um, you know, one of the top power lifters in the country would train there. It was a little small, like 1,500 square feet, 2,000 square feet. And it was uh, at the top of this um, partisan building, which in Europe, you have these physical education buildings, you know, gymnastics yeah. at the bottom, basketball, all that stuff. And um, really small, but this guy would teach me how to, how to lift. Like, and obviously he was phenomenally good at it. And, Another thing was that there was two guys at the bottom of the building that had a little gymnastics gym, and one of them was Eliash Pagan, which was like five-time world champion in a straddle in gymnastics. We're talking about best of the best of the best in the world. Yeah, And they'd slide up. And if you've ever seen gymnastics guys, right, they're jacked out of their mind, right? So like I would be like whoa, I, I knew who he was too, but it's like whoa, you know, like I want to look like that. And same thing, those guys would give me tips on on training. Um, and so I fell in love with it. I started training. But the thing that at that point in time, all I wanted to do was like be a better basketball player, faster, stronger. I want to dunk. I want to you know do like I wanted performance, right? It wasn't like oh I. I'm into fitness because I want to be a coach someday, yeah and, and and it did it really improved my performance, you know, I put on muscle, I didn't get slower, which in those days basketball players would think that if you lift you get slower, yeah, and um you know they are like, damn, like oh, you can touch the rim now, holy crap, like you you're you're up ten pounds, what are you doing, and so that gave me it gave me confidence, it gave me you know gusto got me it got me even more riled up, I felt like I had. A little bit of a secret that they didn't and i, yeah. and I started studying like i mean you know I'm, I'm like 13 14 15 and i'm reading like everything you can imagine um i'm talking about like you know as when elite fts came out and i bought you know charlie francis speed trap and then eventually was t nation i was reading hours per day and right you know buying tudor bombins that's your skin for books you know I'm, I'm 15 16 years old and it was all be, but it was all from like okay like, I, I want to get even better at performance. I want to be more conditioned. Like, so I, I I really geeked out about it. And, um, and it's kind of like where I would say the underlying fitness things started happening for me. Yeah. But at that point in time, if you asked me what you want to do, everything would be like pro ball, NBA, pro ball, NBA. That's all I cared about. Right. In, in basketball for me was, you know, there's this kind of other part of this story where between those ages, I was a pretty big knucklehead. I mean, I was doing a lot of dumb stuff. I was in the streets at you know, I was a criminal and, and I mean, I kind of went to school some, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> just enough, but but it was it was streets and basketball and, and basketball really actually, you know, saved my life. I say it to this day, if if I didn't have that and if I didn't have such a strong pull towards the sport, and, you know, and my coach g- giving me, I would say when I say ultimatums, is like, hey, you know, if you come late to practice, I know what you're doing, like you're not going to play. You know, I, I don't know where I would have been, man. So so ball was a big part for me in and. I ended up going to college in the US. And part of that decision was uh, to get away from some of the things that I was doing. I did four years. Uh, I did two years in upstate New York junior college. And then I did two years in Southern Virginia, a full-time scholarship. And then from there, I went and played overseas um, for about three years in Ukraine and Slovenia, even in the NBA summer pro league. So that, you know, that's a really short kind of timeline. of yeah. it. And uh, and that's what led me, I, I'll, I'll finish on this note on on that story is that, we we basically opened the gym in Slovenia now se- over 17 years ago so i was i was um you know, I started training people when I was still playing pro sports. And eventually I went to my brother. I said, hey, we got something here. You know, there was no gyms like that in the country, meaning coaching gyms, right? There was only big box gyms. We opened up a little small space. We, we did you know, bodyweight kettlebells, barbells, like really basic stuff. We didn't really have any money. Went into a 470 square foot room, start, started making it happen. And, and again, we, we, you know, to this day, I think most people agree, like we're, we've been around for 17 plus years, number one gym in the country in what we do. And, and that's how that journey began and um, I, I I left because I got married to uh, my wife who was I mean my ex-wife now but like who lived in Renton and so uh, moved started from scratch you know LA fitness big box gym training and you know we can, we can we can dive down that storyline but now to actually this yeah. this week actually this week is 15 years of vigor ground in uh, Seattle it's been a journey man no doubt well I think the beautiful
0: thing about this journey and you had me laughing a little bit because like a lot of these same like parallels remind me of the reason that I really got into to training and coaching. It was a lot of it was I just want to play football and I was a small kid. Um, I remember getting ran over. I remember feeling like I wasn't good enough. I remember a coach telling me at one point, I'm not a good enough athlete. And so I'm like, you know what? Like mentally, I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to show you like that's my mindset with it. And so I started nerding out on everything that I could. And you mentioned this great coach, the powerlifting coach who was able to or powerlifter. Yep. Yeah. And you're seeing the way that these guys move weight and optimize technique and all these different things. I remember seeing, you know, one of my co- first at local YMCA, there's these three huge power lifters. I'm like 12, 13 years old. You know, they're getting slapping each other in the back, you know, squatting a house, all this stuff. I'm like, this is so cool. I'm like hundred pounds at the point. And uh, then very fortunate at my high school at this point, I think I was like 14 years old one of my coaches had forums like an absolute like steel cables, man. He was a longtime seasoned Olympic lifter. You know, when these guys just have that density, like there's not an ounce of body fat very much built like a, a gymnast except way bigger traps that immediately for me, I was like, wait, he's not training like a bodybuilder. He's training like for this performance thing. And this is what I need to become more explosive. So I got hooked into doing all these performance lifts, like clean snatches, box jumps, you know, all these different things that most people weren't doing, they were just doing like, you know, BFS five by five, whatever at that point. And it just got me so hooked into it. And you just got me thinking of like that early exposure that you had first to athletics, but then other people who were excelling in fitness and really setting that foundation for you. You mentioned the gym opening up and and being in there consistently and like really building that foundational thing. And it makes such a big difference in terms of the way that people can build these long-term habits and the passion for physical activity, whether they're trying to perform the way that they want or not.
1: I think, well, there's an attachment to, you know, again, if you look deeply, right, what we talked about, um, like, for example, there's, there's a um, Patrick David just released the book. It's called Choose Your Enemies Wisely. And he has a story right there in the beginning of the book, you know, that what was the thing like that he, you know, he wasn't doing well in life. He's 50 grand in debt. He wasn't really doing anything out of himself. And then something that his dad's friends said to his dad, you know, triggered him. And because they were like making fun of his dad It's like, oh, you used to be a chemist. Now, you you know, you sell. You you give out bags at the dollar store, right? And it pissed him off so much that he was like, "People remember our name, right?" And why do I say that? I say that because it's like that was, you know, that's the chip on your shoulder, right? That's the choosing your enemies wisely. (laughs) Let it fuel you. And I think there's, you know, I think it's not a great strategy for it to fuel your life twenty four seven for the rest of your life. Because I've had that problem too, (laughs) and and learned it the hard way. But but I do feel like it's it's um, it can be very valuable fuel, right? How you take things like anger and and jealousy and resentment, like you can you can turn it into moving forward or you can let it you know, burn you to the ground. And so starting there, right, we both kind of talked. hey, chip on the shoulder. When you said the amount of people that told me I could never make it in basketball, that list is forever long. I mean, like we're, we're talking, you know, every phase of my career, you know, it was, it was like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And that fueled me. Right. So so there's that thing. Like what's the, what's your jet fuel? Right. And then part two is attaching things to your anchor. So, for example, for me, training, once I realized like, damn, like when I lift weights, when I do these plyometric exercises, like I bump like nobody can guard me now because like I'm stronger than them. So I got this advantage. I can bump you. I can post up like other guys are just trying to shoot. Also, like, hey, I'm not slower. I'm actually getting stronger. I'm actually I'm faster. I'm jumping higher. So that to me was like performance training, better basketball. Right. So you connect those two dots and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm 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 buying in. I'm committed. And then I started going down a rabbit hole because one, one thing I didn't mention, I mean, because, again, that, that could be a really long story at 16. My, my basketball coach knew this guy. Um, his name was Sergeant Georgievich. Hard name to say. But he was literally one of the top. I mean, he trained Marilyn Adi, Brigitta Bukovetz were like you know, Olymp- Olympians, right? M- Olympic medalists, gold. Uh, Brigitte was silver in uh, the Barcelona Olympics in '92. I was like nuts, right? Like I was this obsessive kid, you know. And I go to to Boris, and I'm like, hey, can you introduce me to him and stuff? So he does. He goes to him. And he's like, I got this crazy kid. He'll do anything. Can he come train with you guys, right? And he thought he was like, sure. Have him show up at 6:15 in the morning before school, you know, thinking yeah. like there's no way I'm gonna show up. <laughs> I'm showing up all the time, but like I at 16, 17, I'm training with Olympians. But to get the show me foot fire drills and you know 10% of your weight to do sled sprints for acceleration. And he's doing EKG stuff on me. He was one of the first people in the world doing that stuff, right? So I'm I'm learning and and at, at the first, he was actually annoyed that I kept showing up. And after a while, he was just like, Dude, this kid's nuts. Like he's dedicated. Because I I, I wanted to just, you know, at that point in time, it was like, How can I dunk it? Right. Because I, the first time I dunked, it was like when I was seventeen. I was probably like five ten, five, you know. Yeah, probably a good five ten. But that was the same thing. I was being driven, and I, I think about like you know how many things I learned from him in that time. Holy shit, you know, like never thinking. Oh, you know, later on I'm going to be in the world of fitness and sports performance, um, and this will benefit me. But it, this was all again going back to Cal Newport's book. He calls it career capital, right? Deliberate practice. So, you know, as I was working hard to become a basketball player, I was really having, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of hours of deliberate practice and in training and fitness and nutrition and speed and like all from some of the best in the world. And again, when you can attach something, you, you've heard this in when people want to make a body transformation, whatever it is, right? What's your anchor, right? If you're like, oh man, I just want to lose some weight. Why Why is that important to you? The five, six and seven why's like, let's, let's get deeper to this. Right. And I do this at the gym where you know, you peel the onions, and it's like, hey, you know what? Like, man, I I just got divorced. I feel horrible. I have no confidence. I feel like I'm not a leader for my kids. I can't even go play pickup with them because I get exhausted, right? Like, and it's like, man, that's that's deep, man. That's painful. That's that's an anchor, right? So if you start attaching, you know, I would say the the things that you do, the improving your nutrition, the going to the gym, to that that anchor. When times get hard, you're still going to be able to like make it through. You might not be perfect. You might fall off a little bit, but you'll get back on track because you got a strong north star. Right. But but if you're just like, well, you know, I just want to look a little better. That's that. it's when challenging times come, it's going to be much more difficult to stay on track. Right. So I'm a big believer in finding that anchor. And sometimes the anchor is like revenge body. I'm yeah. cool with that. You know, like we, we all move from uh, if you've heard from intr- extrinsic to intrinsic motivation. Right. Me and you today. Like, if you didn't get all these, like, if you didn't look great because of training, I'd still train because of how I feel because of training. 100%. Right? That's intrinsic motivation. Like, dude, I just want to go get a workout. And it's great for my mental health. I feel awesome. Right. But at the beginning, I have no, I, I think it's a fine. Like, I, I've been that person where it's like, I'm going to do this so I can prove them wrong. Uh, I want to look great when I go on a beach in the summer. Right. And because if you do a, if you start with extrinsic motivation, you know, I got my 20 year reunion coming up. I want to make sure I look great, and but that leads you over time to intrinsic. That's how it works. It's perfectly fine, but you but you do have to have an anchor. You do have to have something to attach to. And I know that's a little bit of a longer answer, but but it's like I you know I still coach hundreds of people every week, and it's like it ends up being I see who who overcomes the challenges is the person that you know finds their anchor, and it's a lot easier to go like, hey, remember why you're doing this, right? Oh, man, okay, yeah, right. I'm always bringing them back to that to that thing that's really important to them. That's gonna be it's gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna take this pain of you know the training session or getting up earlier or you know preparing my meals over the pain that I wanted to get away from when I came here. You know, I reached out to you because of this, and that's and that's for all of us at all periods of time, right? Like the, the things that are driving me now, there's an anchor that makes me go do the things that I do. I'm, I'm sure for you it's the same thing, and I think it's a disservice. To not help people find that because all the X's and O's and all the shit that we know about you know, training and, and nutrition, it's like they're, they're not going to be as effective if, if there's not a buy-in. So we, we have to help that buy-in first.
0: Exactly. I think that's a huge – actually a huge issue in the industry now where I think a lot of people want to be right before they connect with somebody. And nobody really cares how much you know as a coach, X's and O's, whatever it is, until they know that you can meet them on the level that they are at. And that's where really good conscious communication comes in when it comes to being able to create a transformational experience, right? Like, listen, our name of our podcast, name of our program, Look Great Naked Protocol. That's something a lot of people come in because that's an immediate visceral thing. But, you know, once you start to see progress, you start to go deeper down the rabbit hole of all these different things and you start to realize how improving your body improves all these different areas of your life that might be that anchor that could be a lot deeper. It could be that you're an executive and you're like, wow, my mental clarity is so much higher now and I have better focus and better sleep and I can make a bigger impact with my business. Or it could be the example that you said before. Now I have the energy to run around my kids. I can, you know, go play a pickup game of ball and I'm not out of breath, right? It's like all these little things where it's like as a coach, we got to be able to meet people directly where they're at first and foremost and kind of find what's an immediate external kind of goal that they have, and then just start to build the habits and and build the knowledge and build the enjoyment in the process itself. And then you find that anchor that becomes so much deeper to create that long-term transformational experience. Something that you had mentioned before, you know, was there was a downside towards using anger and trying to, I'll show you like that perspective. Um, Personally, like that's something for me, I've really only become aware of. I'm 34 now, probably really since like my late twenties, because there was a lot of time early on in my career and I got started in in the fitness industry really young, where it was like, I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll do better in all these components. And then pretty soon you're like, that's not serving me anymore. It's like, there's a glass ceiling in terms of who I am as a person when I'm kind of running on this idea of not necessarily anger, but like wanting to prove people wrong. And it sounds like you probably had a little bit of that directly with your experience in basketball. Is that something that well, you I mean, experienced?
1: I've, I've had a, I've had a lot of that in my life. It, it I was, that was the problem uh, is, is that I'm, I'm, re- <laughs> I'm really good in being in a scarcity mindset where I'm like, it's me against everybody. Um, and, but again, that's unhealthy and, and I'll explain, you know, why and actually let me let me give you, uh, give you a story about like I joined a program a long time ago when I went through my divorce and and um was doing dumb stuff in my life and you know got therapy and went to wake up warrior and by the way like I, I I like to say this because this used to be so hard for me to say you know it's it's really difficult for men to admit that they have a problem it's really difficult for men to ask for help that was like the most challenging you know I've been through a lot of stuff in my life like a lot and that was probably the most challenging time in my life because of the guilt and shame of things that I've did, but it was that plus then going like, I admit it, I need help, right? And and it was a massive breakthrough for me, but I say this to say, I went, I went to this program and one of the things that uh, Garrett back then who was my mentor brought up, said, hey, you know, most people operate like this. There's they're scarcity and abundance, right? So in scarcity, they do well, because it's like, all right, got nothing, nothing to lose, let's go back up against the wall, Let's let's fight, right? And from there, you push, you push, you push, you get to abundance. Now you get to abundance and it's like, okay, cool. And then after a while, but there, there might not be any spark. There might not be anybody against you. You're not, you've done, you've built some success. So subconsciously, people will burn it to the ground and then repeat the cycle. What he taught me is like, hey, look, there's, there's another place. It's called legacy, right? So as scarcity, there's abundance and there's legacy. So if you from abundance go like, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's this thing pulling me, not pushing, but pulling me. Right. And that can be look if, if, when you have kids, for sure. It's kind of like one of those. Hey, who who do I want my kids to be? I have to be a lighthouse and representation of that um, in the industry. For me, it's, you know, now I'm in this phase of, hey, how can I like I'm, I'm building courses. I got a book coming out next year and another one, hopefully, you know, a year and a half two after that uh, certification, um, doing tons of speaking, tons of seminars, mentoring people. Because I'm like, regar- here's the thing, regardless if it matters a thousand years from now or not, believing that leaving a legacy for your family, for your community, for the industry. See, that's a that's a positive fuel. okay. whereas that like chip on the shoulder, it's like it can be useful, but man, it'll also burn you out. It's a different type of fuel. I'm always like learning how to. And by the way, you know, you you learn this through experience and hopefully you learn it through um, insights and mentoring from people that you if you keep going back to that negative fuel, that like chip on the shoulder, that You know, negative energy that like it does it does take a toll out of you, right? And and I feel like once you start realizing is like there's something better, there's a legacy to leave, um, and that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. It's a different drive, you know. I I learned that the hard way because I did it quite a you know, and I would say up until age 30, you know, there was uh, parts of my life where I'd always like build it up, burn something to the ground, redo it again, and I was kind of stuck in that cycle. And you know, I had to have that aha moment because. There's, there's a saying, right? Awareness precedes change, right? And awareness, sometimes you get awareness through, you know, pain. Sometimes it's through assessment. You know, you, you hire a coach and the coach sees something you don't. Like I always say, uh, you can't read the label from inside the bottle, right? It, and that goes for business or your life, right? And it's like somebody would go like, hey, here's what I've, you know, somebody you respect, somebody you, you aspire to be like, and they, hey, man, like, here's what I'm noticing, Right. And you respect them enough to now this assessment became an awareness like, oh, shit, I do do that. Right. I, oh, I'm interrupting people all the time. Um, I always want to have my way. I don't listen enough. Those were hard realizations. And, and, and thankfully, I've been good about asking for help for the last, you know, 10, 10 plus years of my life, whether it's coaching in business, coaching personally, uh, you know, being in, I mean, I've been for 15 years. I've been in masterminds and mentorships. Uh, and I think that's kind of like a cheat code for sure again, you know, when environments trigger behaviors, environments change you and, and you pick your environment. So when it comes to whether it's business, fitness, whatever it may be, right? Like imagine if, if you just surround yourself with people that are all committed to this, this thing that you aspire to be like, healthy body, working on your mindset, you know, being fit, healthy, looking good. Like that's going to become your norm. That's going to become the tribal standard. And so you're, you're going to adhere to this tribal standard. That's how we are as human beings. So picking your environment, you know, can be such a powerful thing to do. And I know I'm, I always try to, if, if I'm going all over the place is always to bring it back to, you know, what we're talking about, but that that's true, right? I mean, you are molded by your, the people and the environments that you're around and you can, you might not be able to choose all of them, but you can choose quite a lot of them. And so Picking those can really, really help you move into the direction that you want to move into.
0: Yeah, that's been such a profound thing, really, really for me too. Um, you know, this was back, I guess, probably eight years ago. Um, I had just left, you know, working in the high end performance area. I had some incredible mentors and coaches um, who worked with uh, Denver Nuggets, Denver Broncos, worked in their private facilities, and NFL combine training. All this stuff was absolutely great. That's what I thought my dream was when I first got in the industry, until. I started like really building my online brand and all these components. And a couple of weeks after I had left this job and kind of bet you know, everything on myself on Bach performance, of brand and just kind of saying, whatever I'm going to make it work. I was training a client and I'm, I refuse to answer my phone. I'm in a session. Like I don't care like how many times, but my phone was going off for like 10 minutes straight. And I picked up the phone and it's my accountants, uh, my accountants assistant. I'm like, what's going on here? This isn't great. And like, long story short, my accountant that I had hired, cause I, uh, I didn't know what to do with my books at that age. You know, I'm just like trying not to do anything illegal, and um, my accountant had stole over a hundred thousand dollars from my business. And like my, Man, I nest the story.
1: that's so crazy,
0: right? And like so, like what this did for me, like on one hand, it was like awesome, game on. My back's against the wall. I remember reading the Power of Broke by Damon John. I'm like, fuck it, we're just gonna go. Like we're gonna make it work because that's what we do. But. Coming on the back side of it, like I also realized like in some ways it was a really good thing because it made me think outside the box and test myself and push myself. But it also created almost like just a drive based on cortisol, just based on stress. And so like you talk about kind of getting these cycles. Yeah, like you start to ramp up stress internally, putting more demands on yourself and just being go, go, go. And then without taking the time to step back and really reflect, like, what's the biological cost of this? Yes, You know, it's like trying to, the gym equation would be like, I'm just going to train more and more and more without considering the biological cost on your joints and everything else that's going on. Or like what we call now in our coaching is our synergy system. You need to have the balance between your ability to recover, your training, nutrition, and these things have to be in balance versus just like, I want to do this diet and this nutrition thing, because they sound cool. Like if they're not physiologically aligned, like you're going to spin your wheels that's,
1: no that that's exactly it you know i mean you stress right is it good stress or is it bad stress and look stress is good i mean look, we want to adapt to it but just like anything else and i mean this comes to training right it's like are you doing too much i mean i, I love and again i want to geek like we could geek out about training as much as much as possible here but you know most of the people that either start training and i promise i'll connect these two dots that we're talking about right we get a lot of folks that are they work they have families you know, and Either they are really, truly beginners or they haven't done anything for a long time. You know, high school, college, sport, maybe even pro sport. uh, Life happens and they're back at it. Right now, even for them, they're like, well, I want to get back into it. You know, we have a conversation like, hey, how many times have you started and stopped type of thing? Right. Oh, the last time you started, what happened? Training six days a week, went on this diet, right? I prefer to start like, hey, let's do two strength sessions a week, two and two cardio. And for some, it might be like, that's it. But man, I can, first of all, they don't need that much to get a quality adaptation, right? And we have a lot of room and a lot of leeway. And plus, it's also like, this is stress that you haven't had, and you're going to adapt to it. And then we can build some more stress and some more stress and some more stress. But you know what's not going to be great? If we just atomic bomb you with stress, right? Like, you're telling me you work 12 hours a day, you got three kids you know, you had this thing happen to you. Yeah, let, great. Let's do four really hardcore strength sessions, two high <laughs> intensity conditioning sessions, you know, like it's, you can't recover from that, you know, and you might have a, you know, quick burst of results and then you're going to hit a wall, inflammation, injury, Uh, you know, all of a sudden you're going to have cravings, you're eating too low on a calorie side, right? Like it, it's the same thing. It, it's, it's like, if somebody has a massive amount of stress in their personal life, you know, is it, unfortunately this is what people do like they have training that deals with their stress so they go train hardcore yeah and of course stress is stress and it it's gonna it's like the bathtub analogy i always like the bathtub analogy every every faucet in the bathtub is something relationship stress work stress family stress training stress you know for instance nutrition stress good or bad if the bathtub fills up and it overflows that's where you hit the, you know the wall or you get over you know over training or just like depression, all these different things, you're going to get an injury because the tissues can't handle that much. So it's like, okay, what, you know, I always talk to clients, like maybe there's a faucet that we just can't turn off. Like it's not in your control. But what are some faucets that we can tune down and we can manage this stress so that you get the adaptations that you want, right? And it might, that might mean to go, hey, you were training five days a week. Let's go down to three, right? And they'll get better results. And it's like the amount of people that I get that are A type, you know, executive types that come to me and they're like, I'm training like a madman. My results are, have you know stopped. I'm having issues, and then I have to spend about a month, sometimes two, easing them back because they don't. They're like, "How are we going to do less?" And then also tricking them into like, you know, we're going to do aerobic capacity work instead of this like crazy hardcore conditioning that you did. Yeah. So you're still training five, six days a week, but we've just tuned down the intensity on a whole bunch of training, and then three months later, they're. PRing and everything they feel better they put on muscle their strength levels have gone up and it's like hey man you're getting more but you're doing less and again this is that whole like turning the dials of of life and w- that's why like earlier when you were uh, I forgot what you said but I was like oh man like the conversation about you know the, the coaching is is an art and science because you can know all the Xs and Os but like getting people communicating things clearly you know getting buy in uh, and helping them buy in into you know what you're trying to get them to do and also turning things down, turning things up. And remember, like, I, I kind of categorize it in four things because it's simple for people, people to understand. There's training, there's nutrition, there's recovery, there's mindset, right? And we work with those, with those buckets. And sometimes it's like we turn some down and we turn some up. And those four you know, help people sustainably achieve something, like the result that they want that they can keep. That's kind of like the idea of that.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the hardest things that people really have, especially you mentioned like the type A exec, they have this expectation of being able to go back to training they were maybe when they are at their physical peak without thinking about the stressors in all these different areas. And, you know, you mentioned stress is stress. Yeah, our body can't differentiate between, you know, getting cut off in traffic from spending way too much time watching the news. Whatever it is, it's like creating more stress directly in your life. And if we just crank that dial all the way, going to get sick you're going to get beat up all these all these different things and so it's like how can you maximize with the minimum effective dose and then gradually build on that so your body becomes more resilient to what it is Um, especially again with like executives and former athletes one thing that i find is many people get so used to maybe having like the workouts designed for them from their staff and being able to push and having the teamwork and the camaraderie that when they stop playing sports like They've known how to push themselves, but they don't know how to actually internally get that drive going without that same external support system. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is why you see so many athletes say they get done playing college ball or something like that. They'll be good to like 25. Then they start piling on the weight. All of a sudden they're 40 and they have this expectation for themselves where they should look, feel and perform a certain way because of how they were previously. Without being able to, I guess, realign what's actually practical, sustainable with where they are now, given all these other dials filling up the bathtub have been overflowing for years, and that's a huge like mental thing to navigate and understanding that like we can lean in to the experiences, to the to the physicality of these things that you know about yourself, but we might have to go about it a little bit of a different way. And I think that's one of the big things, especially when you have somebody who wants to become an athlete and have that athletic capability again. So speaking directly on the training side, you mentioned you might start with somebody going like two days a week in a strength session, two days a week for like a, a cardiovascular session. Like what does a typical strength session look like? Are you doing like any types of, of jumps, like any big mistakes that you see a lot of people make before they might come to work with you?
1: Hell yeah. All right, let's dive in. I mean, <laughs> so the, the thing is, it's really, I mean, it's really going to be dependent on the person, right? So I, I can give a couple of different scenarios, but I really like, you know, a long time ago from uh, my friend, Mike Robertson, I run, uh, learned the R7 system, right? Which is basically... There's seven, like, what should every training session consist of? And it's these seven R's. R1 is release. That's all your soft tissue work. And you can put anything in that bucket. Foam rolling, lacrosse balls, tempering, you know, you name it, right? Um, And people will argue now, like, what does that stuff do? And here's the thing. We still don't fully know. But what I do know is if I give somebody a lacrosse ball and have them, like, tune down their lat and work on the back of their shoulder and their hips, they feel better. So, you know, we teach people to come in. We, we usually teach them this stuff. So we actually, they do that themselves once they've been taught that before we actually train with them. Then R2 is a reset. And reset is two different things. Um, it's one, it's the nervous system. So for example, a lot of folks come in to train after work in traffic for 45 minutes, pissed off, boss pissed them off, kids, this, that, the other. Their sympathetic nervous system is off the rockers. They're coming in tone tense right? And so a reset on one side is like how to if, imagine like this uh, scale, right? They're super sympathetic. We just want to balance them out. It's not, you know, we're not trying to calm them down and like put them, you know, make them, uh, I would say meditate with the shy monks for two hours. It's, you know, we're going to do box <laughs> breathing drills or positional breathing, which, which I like to do, right? Like you're in a couch stretch position and then you're going to do four, four exhale four hold, four inhale, four hold. And there's a lot of different ways to do this, by the way, right? Um, So that's one of the things it does. It's a autonomic nervous system kind of reset, right? Second is getting your joints into better positions. Now there's tons of modalities to do this, right? Like you got PRI, you got FRC and kin stretches and stuff like that. So there's there's different things that you'll do, but we only do like one to two drills, by the way. This, is, this doesn't take a long time. This is like, hey, three, four minutes maybe, right? Yeah. R3 is readiness. Readiness is pretty much a dynamic warmup, right? Super simple. Meaning dynamic warm up. what are we going to do? Well, we're going to get the joints prepped. We're going to get the core temperature up and we're going to like probably get some movements involved that are going to be like the training session. So if we're squatting, we're going to do Spider-Man lunge with rotation. We're going to do a squat to stand. We might do some tie sits. We might do um, some, you know, I will say three way glute activation drills. And then we're going to ramp it up. I always like to ramp stuff up, but then to warm up and do athletic drills, high knees, skips, pogo jumps, side to side. By the way, we'll do this, even if it's like a 50, 60 year old client, it's just going to look different. High knees are going to be very low to the ground. Their speed's not going to be as high, right? We're going to give them regressions. But that is my philosophy. And I think this is where a lot of people kind of mess up is that, you know, it's like, oh, well, Susie, Sue, you know, she's fragile and it's like no you just gotta you just gotta find a thing that's gonna be pretty fast for her and her tissues can tolerate and i think that's part again that's i think that's a big part of the art um then we go to r4 is reactive so every person is going to do something explosive plyometric power-based if i look at the continuum of people and i go like hey here's a, a former athlete that i have yeah man that, that might be for them a box jump it might be a rotational med ball throw it might be, um, you know, squat jumps or we might get, you know, really plyometric and do low hurdle hops and twitchy lateral jumps, skater jumps. Like there's tons of stuff we can fit in there. For an older person, it might be a, you know, wall throw with a med ball. It might be a slam. It might be, again, foot fire. Very, very safe. It might be a sled push. Right. We just want them to get some of those fast twitch, uh, I would say, motor, uh, motor units firing that they're not used to. And with time, we might be able to, we'll be able to progress this and make them do more complex stuff. But again, there's going to be something reactive in every training session. And by the way, lower body, upper body, there's tons of, you know, we could go into the different movement patterns and everything else. Then we get to R4, uh, sorry, R5, R4 was reactive. R5 is is resistance. So that's our strength training. To me, I'm always like, I look at, uh, there's I, I look at like strength training has like Actual strength training and resistance training. To me, those are a little bit different. Strength training is like, we're going to get stronger. Resistance training is like, oh, we're going to, you know, build muscle, build our tissues up. R five is usually probably most of the time the biggest piece of the pie of a training session. But the, like, for example, if somebody is very deconditioned, we might spend 20 minutes plus of that training session doing dynamic warm ups because that's going to be hard for them right that's we conditioning be, at the same time you know absolutely 100 right like it's like they get done in their heart rates at 155 160 so I, I always i explain this as a piece of the pie analogy when you look at the r7 it's like how many pieces of the pie am i allocating to this and and i'll give you like again two very different examples uh nfl guy that already just hit me up like i i train quite a few nfl guys in off season also in season they'll come to me about once a week But I want to hit me and said, hey, listen, I really like next offseason, I really want to work on my first step explosiveness. Right. This is like like, Lily says, this is my priority. Okay. So I'm going to do an assessment of everything and the season once he gets some rest. And then we're going to look at like, okay, how much are we going to allocate of that pie? Because he's a very strong dude, by the way. Very strong dude. We don't need a lot of piece of that pie to maintain that strength. But we're going to need to put quite a more time in on mobility. I already know, getting more explosive, right? Having more elasticity. Boom. Okay, now we got a brand new person that can't really even move well. They have very little experience with strength training, so I'm gonna have a big chunk of that pie. Be readiness, and at yeah. the beginning, maybe I have one drill for them that's reactive and it's like a med ball throw, super safe. And then we got a little bit of resistance training. Maybe we have like two uh, two different exercises uh, in two supersets for two sets. That's it. So we're talking about literally like eight sets in a whole workout. By the way, this might be very hard for them. Then we go to R six which is resilience, that's conditioning, that's our cardio. Again, what we can kind of go back to this, cardio I think is a very, very, very very misunderstood thing. I've been very fortunate that my neighbor, one of my best friends in the world, uh, Joel Jamison, lives here, I've known him for 14 years now, I can pretty much teach his certifications. The number one guy in the world for conditioning, best sir in the world for conditioning. Um, And so very misunderstood, cardio is extremely misunderstood. And so that's gonna be R6 and R7's recovery. Right. And recovery is like we're going to start a cool down. And there's actually a cool down protocol that that I like to have with people. Uh, So instead of, you know, because if you think about training, training is stressful. It's it's sympathetic. Right. It's fight or flight. Yeah. And a lot of folks, like if you go into a regular gym, go and sit there and just watch what happens. Somebody gets done with their last set and just fucking walks out. Right. High strung into the car, probably still drinking an energy drink. You know, so their recovery is not starting for a while. So we teach people, even if like they go and take a three-minute walk around the block, but usually I'm like, get on the bike, three minutes, 100 beats per minute or less. Part two, box breathing. Part three, scratch or foam roll, but not hard, like relaxing, soothing. All right, that's going to take you about six minutes, right? But now you've put your, your body back into a parasympathetic state, rest and digest. Your body's now starting to recover and adapt to the training session. That's kind of like the, I look at every training session through that R7 lens but it's going to look very different for it depending on who it is, what they want to achieve. And again, that piece of the pie might get allocated differently. Also, you know, like I, I train pro sports teams and high school teams. We just, with, with the basketball high school team, we just went from off-season to in-season. That R7 looks different now. Because now it's like stimulate, don't annihilate, right? Okay, these kids aren't playing a lot. You're going to push a little bit harder here. You guys are playing more. Here's what we're going to work on. So again, but it does give you a, a, a template and a lens to look through and go, Hey, I want to have all of this in my recipe for people to have a great training session and also to build that athleticism. Because I'm like that idea of like athlete for life. I believe in it so wholeheartedly, and I can give you all the science behind it. But like in general, you know, I like there's no person, by the way. And Eric, you let me know, you know, if if this resonates with you, right, dude. I want to look like that guy on a cover. Okay, cool. You can get that. Your hips are gonna hurt if you sprint. You're gonna pull a hammy. Uh, You can't really. Like, you can't go for a hike, for eight-mile hike whenever you want because you just don't have that ability. You'd be like, I don't know. Fuck, that sounds kind of shit. Of course, you want the show and the exactly. go. Like, you want to be able to do stuff. I don't know what you want to do, but I know you want to be able to do stuff. You don't want to just look great but feel like shit. Your health is down. You walk around. You can't barely move. You know, if you do something really explosive and strenuous, like, man, if something's going to explode, nobody wants that. People want to be able And it might be like, I want to just pick up my grandkid real quick and lift them up above the head. Okay, well that's an athletic movement. So, you want to be able to you want to be able to look good, feel good, the health like the I would say what's under the hood and you want to be able to perform. Like everybody wants that.
0: Yeah, that's such a huge piece, right? It's like again, sure look great naked like it might be the thing that gets people in, right? But what does that give you? Because is it again, yeah, is it to be able to to play a game, is it to be able to go on a hike and do these things? That's where understanding I like your analogy. I was actually drawing a pie on my notebook over here as you as you said that. And I was kind of thinking even like making a player like Madden or something like that, you got all these attributes you can give in any different area. And it changes as you go through that journey, right? As you as you mature, as you go through different stressors in your life and like you have to be able to decide what point do I need to put more emphasis on the conditioning or the example of the NFL athlete? Hey, when do we need to maybe focus a little bit more on you know, the elasticity versus the pure baseline foundation of strength, which might've been the best thing for him when he was in high school. Like a lot of people get stuck in trying to do the same thing that they did previously, thinking that's it's going to get them to the new level without understanding how to make these finer tweaks across the board, which really bring in that ultimate human potential, becoming that lifelong athlete. One thing that you hit on specifically was, you know, kind of, always trying to focus on something that's going to train high threshold motor units, those fast twitch muscle fibers, something like that. What is the importance for that, for longevity? You know, for somebody who's maybe not necessarily playing a sport, but say they're 30, they're 40, they're 50, 60, 70. Like, why is, why is that important?
1: Well, let's look at, I mean, this statistic, I'll give a couple, right? The first thing that we lose with aging is not strength, it's not muscle mass, it's power, right? It's being able to turn on, I mean, it's the whole, like, you know, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? And- so, but now look at, you know, the stat that if you're over 55 years old, one out of three people that fall break their hip, which is, I mean, that's insane, right? And by the way, breaking your hip, the recovery is ridiculous. Um, it takes about a year. It's nine to 12 months, I think. And the average person puts on a lot of weight because you're so immobile, right? You can't really do much. Um, and if, if I'm, I would have to look back into the stats, but the stats of like the mortality after you break your hip goes up significantly. Yeah. It's crazy. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It would actually blow your mind. You'd think I was lying. Um, I can't pull it off the top of my head, but it's nuts. And so it greatly reduces the quality of life. Mortality goes up and, but what is falling? I mean, when you fall, it is your agility, your response time It's the quickness of when you can catch yourself. And like my, my mom like has both my mom and my dad, but my mom has Parkinson's and like in the last two years, she takes certain meds and stuff like that that lower her blood pressure, and also, you know, she hasn't done them. We've now have a uh, physical therapist that comes to the house to start doing drills and strength training for the last year, because she would basically, you know, get a little lightheaded and then she would fall, and she wouldn't have the reflexes to catch herself, and she would always break a bone, right? Break the femur, break the hand, break. Which again, you know, it's like really when you look at power training, I mean the quality of your life and so if you're thinking like well listen i don't go out and play flag football no it's not that the amount of things that happen in your life that are like you trip and you have to quickly refoot yourself or imagine like your kid is falling oh shit, right uh, yeah. your, your reaction reflex whether you have it you know when uh, or a kid i've seen this by by the way i've had you know 15 years ago i had a really bad back injury and i've i've seen in real life a child jump on a parent unexpectedly, the parent catches them and blows their back out. Okay, I've seen this happen in live multiple times, right? Because the slow reflexes, they get caught in a bad position, and we could go down the list. I mean, a forever long list of why you would need that. Which also, by the way, you know, being able to turn on high-threshold motor units is related well to also strength, right? So, by the way, force is mass times acceleration. So in in the fitness industry, you get I mean, thankfully, there's more and more people talking about this, but people only focus on the mass part. I lifted heavier. I'm a big fan of VBT monitors, right? Velocity based training because they give me, you know, we use it with athletes, but I use it myself because now and if you've ever done, you know, a trap bar deadlift and let's say I can deadlift, you know, in a low 500s right now, and I would look at my actual power output. Then I'd put on 405 and lift it as fast as I possibly can. My power would be be higher than it is with, like for instance, 515. Wh- am I? What's going on here now? Right? Am I? I'm actually, to, uh, I would say, engaging more high threshold motor units than I did with a really heavy lift. And so there's an in, again, like I I do a lot of this even with general population where we will you know throw lighter stuff that would be that. 10 to 30% and then going to that power and then we do strength speed. Well, we're using 50 to 75% of loads and moving it fast. And here's what's cool about it, right? A client might be coming in and going like, man, I'm toasted. If I told them like, hey, we're going to lift really heavy today. Mentally, they're like, yeah, I can't do that. But they're like, you know what? Don't worry. We're going to use 50% of load. And I show them a VBT monitor and show them how fast they're lifting. So they have a feedback and we can go like, hey, listen, two weeks ago, you were lifting at this speed. You're actually lifting faster producing more force so it it has so many different i would say um positives right that's like that transfer over to life but also that can make lifting more fun more competitive right because it's like you can lift lighter weights and get after it and we've had you know crews in semi-private where they're like oh man 1.2 meters per second let's go you know And now they're like you know bracing ripping and getting the the most force production that they've ever gotten that also, because remember, there's, there's a kind of speed velocity curve, uh, sorry, the, the velocity curve from strength, strength to speed. And most people just like lift heavy, right? And in those kind of slower, neglect everything, everything else. else, neglect everything else. But we need those things. We, we need those, whether, whether you want to be an athlete for life and play basketball with your kids or football or this, that, you know, go play pickup games. But it's just, there's so many things that happen in a day that, you know, like I, I had to go up on a, on a roof of the building and I own. And I have to, like, glue stuff and, I mean, shovel, like, 50 pounds of leaves and one shovel stroke off. (laughs) And people are doing stuff like this every day. These are all athletic movements. When I'm shoveling, I have to lunge. I have to lift and rotate, you know, have rotary power. Like, you're. I don't give a shit. Like, you could film a human being that says, I don't give a shit about sport. And film them throughout the day, and you're going to see, I don't know, 50 instances of where they have to be athletic. And if they're not, it's going to beat up their joints. The risk of injury goes up you know nagging aching joints so it's like it just transfers to so many different things and and what I think about is like many times I'm gonna hide the medicine inside of the dessert you know it's like I have to do it for my yeah. dog Lucy doesn't want to you know she's like uh-uh I know what that shit is I'm not eating it boom I put that little thing in peanut butter man she crushes it and so game over game over so it's like your pockets like it's look great naked right absolutely and at the beginning extrinsic motivation but here's the thing I'm gonna be like hey listen when we can activate high-threshold motor units, this is going to really help you with building lean muscle, right? And, hey, the more lean muscle that we have, it's going to burn more calories 24-7. I'm going to attach the thing to what they want. And they're like, oh, cool, awesome, right? But now I got them doing my athletic things. And what's going to happen is after a while, they go like, man, I like doing this athletic shit. I did. Fun. You know, I had a, a guy that came in, um, is in my small group, and he's like, yo, I played ball yesterday. This is crazy. Like I move better. My step back, I get an extra foot on my step back, dude. That's nuts. But again, came in for one reason. Now he's going to hoop and he's like, this is transferring so well. Holy shit. Even more bought in, right? That's essentially what we end up doing, right? I'm, I'm looking at it and going, I'm going to give you what you want. But man, I know you need these things. And so I'm going to sneak them in. But eventually I'm going to connect those two stories and you're going to start loving the things that we're doing and understanding how important it is for your life. And then you're going to be like, no, nope, I got to do athletic stuff. Got to do athletic stuff. Right. And that's the, that's the mindset behind athlete for life. Cause a lot of people, you know, when I talk to them, I was like, well, you know, look at like, yeah, you still go hoop and you box and you do all these things. And like, I don't really care about that. You have to like, really, you know, then I'll ask them questions. Hey, what do you do? about well, Like, what do you do? Well, I go to this, I go to this, I go to this. And then you start realizing that they're actually doing a lot of athletic stuff. And they're like, yeah, my back does kind of hurt and my hips and this. and Right. And you're like, man, you can, you know, you don't have to have that because this belief that this is just how it is. We just, We just age, and you know we get slower and we get weaker, and that's not true. That's just not true. And that belief system is a lot of times driving you to not exercise in a certain way. Now, yes, we have to be smart. Like I have a little bit of a, you know, this is a little bit generic, but a rule for most forty to fifty, you know, jumps slash contacts per week when people start off with. Instead of doing plyometrics, we're gonna do jump training. We're gonna land on a box, right? We're gonna do throws we might do a sled or prowler. We're gonna get their tissues to adapt to this and not go gung ho, you know, and then build it back up. I think that's the other mistake, right? That's like you you read a magazine and it's like, you know, Adrian Peterson's workout, DK Metcalf's training session. And it's like, yeah, man, I I read that in a magazine. So I went and did it and I pulled something. I'm like, of course you did. Right. I mean that's you can't just emulate people. You have to have a program that's made for you for where you are and you know I just look at the GPS. You are here on a GPS. You want to go here. Cool. Let's build a path, right? But it's going to be unique to you and based on your training history, your injury history, your preferences, lifestyle, you know, a lot of these different things. But, you know, but to say, I don't need that is, is nuts. Now, look, if you're a bodybuilder and that's your competition and you're like, all I give a shit about is like being on stage winning a bodybuilding competition. You know, what I'm saying might not be for you, even though what I'm saying is still relevant. Majority of the people that, you know, I coach that I talk to and now there's a, a lot, a lot of people every, like no one doesn't want the go. No one doesn't exactly. want the performance. No one.
0: Yeah. I think that's such a big component. You know, it's, I think a lot of people as well in the fitness industry, they get disenchanted with like some of the body composition stuff as well, because they've tried it. They've tried the ultra strict meal plans, these different diet protocols, all these things that don't have any sustainability or practicality with where they are. And they think that it's my way or the highway. One thing that I've realized when it comes to incorporating these athletic-based principles, whether we're talking about jumps, doing things that are more on the speed, strength realm, whatever it is, it's fun. They enjoy it and they start to see that carryover. It's like, this is a different way to train than I have before. I'm really getting enjoyment out of it. And then again, Depending on what level they are, they're still seeing many of those body composition changes because it could be anything from activating high threshold muscle or motor motor units, which can also obviously help provide that baseline of strength, which by extension can allow you to do more overall volume and load. It's like they're all connected. It just comes down to understanding how much, what piece of the pie do you delegate in what area, and then keeping it true and congruent with where you are on the GPS and applying it directly to your life. Luca man.
1: And there's, if I can make, share one story and one rant, right? Yeah. The story is this. Have you ever, like, we do a lot of, you know, we do semi-private training, athlete groups. We do groups, small group personal training. Take a group of people. I don't give a shit who they are. Like, you know, 57-year-old lady, 22-year-old guy, uh, 41-year-old guy with hip replacement, and make them do a competitive drill. Knee tap, shoulder tap drill. We do these for warm up sometimes. Or in a crawl position, tap the shoulder, right? They're moving around. And then watch their face. Everybody starts smiling. Everybody starts competing. Yeah. It's It's taking them back to, like, when you were a child and you're playing games and you're free and fun. And it's like, but they're doing that while they're getting more athletic. We'll do prowler races, right? We'll do so many different. And it's like people just, it's like something happens, right? Even the person that's like, I just want to get healthier and lose weight. Boom, all of a sudden they're like, you see their face and they're smiling, right? So, I and I, I guarantee you, you'll see that everywhere. Now, of course, ad- adapt the drill to the, the audience. So that, that's one thing that I'm like, when you bring it up and you say, it's fun. Absolutely. It's cool. Like older person, you know, I'm like, Hey, listen, you had a rough week. Yeah, man. Like, okay. If you break this dining bowl, I will give you $50. You don't have to pay me. I'll give you 50 bucks. <sighs> Sometimes, you know, I had to cut out, <laughs> put my face on the ground and be like, I know, I know you don't like me right now. You know, and they're throwing it at my face and right. It's that's fun. Funny. It's fun. But so that, that's my first point is like creating, like people do have inside of them something that makes them want to compete right? And we just have to bring him back out and, and keep it safe. Number two is that like, you know, the fitness industry, by the way, I love the fitness industry the most on the planet. That's why I've dedicated my life to this, right? But there are, you know, it, it, it is many a times too segmented and it's like, oh, I'm going to pitch hypertrophy. And so everybody will do hypertrophy and I'm going to talk shit to anybody that doesn't, hey, that exercise that I saw, it's, you know, you could do it better for building muscle. It's like, but, you know, Ben Bruno was talking about this on Joe D's pocket. But what if they don't want to build muscle? What if they want to be more athletic? What if they want to move faster? What if they want a better stability? But it's like, oh, but I have to die by my sword and my ideology because that's better for getting followers on Instagram, right? Oh, yeah. I'm the mobility guy. So everything is this. Everything is that. And it's like we know, like, n- it, there's no such thing as, like, one thing, right? I mean, the whole premise of R7 is like, or or look at athletics or look at hum- the human being. Does it, If you're strong – but your cardio is like horrible and it sucks. That's going to be a problem, right? And like, that's why I like, you know, cardio is this thing that mitochondria is the engine of life. For you and me to, to, to speak right now and talk, we need cardio. We need aerobic capacity, right? For us to recover faster, for us to be able to do a lot of different things, we have to build our aerobic engine. Most programs don't have that included. Because it's like, you know, cardio is a side dish. You do it for fat loss or, you know, now thankfully there's more and more of it coming out where it's like, hey, cardio is for health. And it's really important, right? That One of the markers of, of high mortality uh is VO2 max. Again, like you can't just go, there's this one thing like get strong or get fast or get no, for most people on this planet, it's a combination of them. And the magic is in piecing it together in that pie, having people continue to come back. This is my other thing. I... And I, by the way, I was this shithead 15 years ago in the industry, right? No, this is the best thing for you. you. know. And it's like if the person gets off the couch and starts doing Zumba, I'm clapping, bro. I'm like, this is great. This is phenomenal. If they go and do this other thing and it gets them doing something, hell yes. It's getting them into the world and getting them doing something for themselves. And today it's like there's so many arguments. Now, look, I'm, I'm absolutely against people that spew unethical shit hundred percent you know shut that shit down when when we go like oh you're doing that there's something better than that you completely demoralize like the fact that it was maybe really difficult for this person to make a first step and make a first move and we we're like oh i'm so smart like did you know that blah 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 it's like like you're not even you're, you're not even trying to understand this person you know maybe they're so excited that they're starting to move and do something for themselves man i'm high-fiving them all day long Forget about like there's For sure. something better and there's a better method and a better mechanism like and and I would I would love to see I'm, I'm sure that it won't disappear because some of that is what drives you know the arguments drive eyeballs you know the the it, like my camp versus your camp right that's kind of uh, Sapolsky right like it, it teaches us me against you so we we create this psychology but I would love to see you know more of the collaboration that's why like i love getting on shows i love talking about stuff because you know I've, I've learned you know i've stood on the shoulders of giants right like i've for the last 20 years learned from i mean more than that if i look at, back at 13 years old right like so 30 years now yeah i've learned from some of the best people on the planet in every area and i've spent absurd amounts of money time and energy you know traveling the world becoming really excellent at the stuff that i do and i'm still like every day feel like i'm dumb and i'm learning right and so we go to different pockets and like, hey, I go here and learn from the nutrition and from the mobility and from the strength and from the speed and isometrics from Alex and the terror. And like, I'm buying every course left and right, learning everything, you know, there is. And again, that's the goal, like get better at it, but make sure that like we make it accessible to people because let's look at this country. It's not healthy, it's not fit, right? So again, for us to like argue about these minutia, where really if your goal, if you got into it because you really wanted to help people, Man, then go back down, back to that intent and just think about if you can get somebody to move forward, that's winning, right? And if you can support somebody that's moving forward, even though they're not doing the best, and most optimal thing, that's winning.
0: I love that perspective, man. And that's such a huge. I mean, you got my brain going to so many directions on this now because I think a lot of people in the fitness industry have become better marketers looking at like classic, like copywriting text. It's like a whole other discussion. And what you see is people apply these arguments, try to pigeonhole themselves. Like, this is my niche. This is the thing I have to stick to. You know, this is my base. I'm going to rally it. You know, not too different from watching a political commercial and fight against (laughs) everything else without any any nuance, you know? And so it it just kind of comes back to it's like people cherry pick like research just to support this one thing. And again, it's going to be evidence based, but like, if you have evidence, but you don't have the art aspect of how it actually applies to a person, it's not going to suit them directly. And so like you're mentioning, man, like so much of it comes down to being able to understand the person that's directly in front of you and help apply the right thing at the right time. And if it's somebody who's just getting started, applaud that shit. Because like, when I look back, when I first started getting like, when I was like 12, 13 years old, I would do the dumbest shit you can (laughs) imagine in the gym. I had like this folder full of like Uh, workouts like ripped out from like muscle and strength and all these magazines that I would like come in with like janky ass folder and go and train and just like do 37 sets of bicep curls, even though I couldn't do a pull up. Right. And so like, we have to remember that we all start somewhere. And many times, even if we're starting somewhere, that's maybe not ideal. We're building a habit. We're building a passion. that's going to lead us down a path for knowledge. And as we all know, when somebody learns something through their experience and it feels like their idea it's so much more likely to stick long-term. And so listen, if somebody's doing something wrong, like, and they're not safe, like be gentle about it. Just like, Hey, can I make a suggestion here? If they say no, cool. Step off. If not like chill out, you know, it's like, you got to meet people where they're at and be open-minded to helping them get some support, not trying to prove your point.
1: And I mean, this, you know, Alan Cosgrove said, I I consider myself both a a teacher and a student, right? I, I hopefully my, I will forever be a student. I don't know how long ago he said this, right? Like, Think about like the teachers in your life right and think about the teacher that made you feel dumb and what did that do to you and i like i instantly think about like you know in in math actually like uh, a teacher to this day look this is like i mean 35 years ago something like that that basically embarrassed me in class right in front of everybody at math and it's like i resented you know the teacher but i resented math like i just started you know what i mean i I started getting better at math once you put dollar sign in front of it. Right, it took that long, but (laughs) but and then but then I think about another teacher that was so important in my development. Always like if I would say dumb stuff, they'd ask me questions. Right, they they basically be very I don't say empathetic, but like more gentle towards it. Right, more understanding, and it's like that person led me down, me wanting to study more and learn more about that topic. And it was actually one of my one of my PE teachers while I was like very, very young, right? And so the, the, the reality ends up being is like, if you're a coach, but if, look, I think if you're a human, you're a coach because you're coaching your kids, might be coaching people at work. And if you look at yourself as a teacher, you you have to go back and say, man, think about the how you felt, you know, in- when you felt like shit, when somebody made you feel like shit, or you, somebody you look up to, you're like asking them a question and maybe it's a little bit of a dumb question and they, they like made you feel dumb. How did you feel yeah. versus the person that like actually was listening to you, asked you questions and still is like, Hey, you know, something I'd recommend, or maybe there's a little bit different approach to look at this. And they led you down a different path and really made you feel great. Right. Like wh- which one do you want to be? And I think in fitness, there's a lot of the former, right. It was like, I win because I'm really smart. I make you feel stupid, right? And and again, some people just don't know. I mean, look, it's it's difficult to, it's really difficult. And and if you are on social media, on podcasts and stuff, like man, if you're an average person that is not into this, it's really, I mean, what do you believe, right? Like, oh, but that guy's got a million followers. That one's got a million followers, and they're both saying different stuff, and they're arguing, and like it's challenging, right? So we have to be more of teachers and get our students you know excited to learn and kind of go down the rabbit hole also themselves like we have to educate but then again autonomy right we know that self-determination theory is three things right it's it's autonomy meaning choice it's competence building skill and it's relatedness like community right so you know even in training i do so much of the first one hey uh you know if i'm building a new program which one would you like to do more elevated reverse lunge or a bulgarian split squat oh my god i hate bulgarian split squats we've done that shit like i don't want to do it again reverse okay yeah reverse lunge great what happened there they chose it are they going to be more committed to the thing they choose absolutely like i just did a video on youtube about nutrition coaching like very simple like as as an in staff i did right and it was like hey like basically you end up going like hey what do you think are some things that you could do with with your nutrition to improve it (sighs) man like i eat out a lot oh tell me a little bit more about that okay and they tell you and it's like okay so I'm gonna circle one of those. What else, man? I you know, I'm, I'm probably take. I'm having some alcohol on like four or five nights a week. Okay, cool. right? They tell you, and then you you got like four different things that they say because they know themselves better than you do. And you go, which one of these do you want to attack first? Like low hanging fruit or the toughest one? And they pick one. Okay, great. Let's let's determine what you're gonna do and how we can track this. They've been making the choice the whole time. Autonomy. Do you think that that's gonna work better in coaching than if I go like, Eric, you're drinking too much. We're gonna cut that down completely. That's out. Also, you know, you'd be like, okay, okay, but then you're not going to do it, right? Because it's not your choice. 100%. So that's, you know, and that's the art of coaching, which by the, by the way, like, I mean, we could do a two-week nonstop, you know, conversation about the art of coaching, but the reality is, is like, we have, you know, th- this idea that we're going to beat things into people's heads so that they do them doesn't work. We know that, right? We know that. So why don't you take a different approach? And like, I I know that like on, on social media, I try to do my best or on podcasts or, you know, to not just be like, this is the way, you know, there's no other way, but just educate and let pe- people go down the rabbit hole, right? Pro- pro- provide valuable, useful content, lead people to-, to research in other places and whatnot. But if they're doing, and if they're doing better, you know, to me, it's like, it's like a training session. Uh, somebody said, Luca, what are the, what are some components of a training session that you want? And I'm like, to be safe for them to get better and then for them to feel good, meaning have a good experience so that they keep coming back. Because if they, you know, first. Thou shall do no harm. That's our goal. They should never get hurt during a training session. Number two is I'm like, so if I look at somebody that's got a really wacky s- static lunge, there's no way I'm fixing it in one go, right? No. It's like, I can't fix all this shit, but can I make it better? And if I made it better, that's a win. And then for them to be like, man, I'm, you know, they, they could be like, man, that was really challenging or hard. Like that really pushed me, but I feel good. Like that was a good experience for me. Those are the three things. And then they're like, I'll be back. Cool. And then when they keep coming back for two years, you've changed their life. So that's, that's that. And I look at that. I don't give a shit if it's like I got the Cy Young Award winner. Same thing. I got Susie Sue. Never touched a weight in her life. Same thing. Those are principles. Right. And, and we got to do more of that. I think we got to do more of that, not just in person. I think we got to do more of that. Online, the the bickering and the arguing man is just like it's crazy to me, right? And psychologically, from a marketing standpoint, I understand sometimes people using that. If your intent, like I know why I got into this industry, like I'm 20 years in and I still coach 25 hours a week because I love coaching. And my goal has always been like I want to be like you know world class, world class, world class, top top of notch coach, right? So I'm going to continue to practice my craft. And I don't know how many sessions I'm at, but it's like fucking fifty thousand. Who knows, yeah. right? Like. And the, the point being is, though, that it's like if our intent was to get in because we want to help people, and that's what everybody says, then remember your intent. Like, remember your intent when you start doing dumb shit and, like, putting people down or arguing with folks. And, look, it's different having a conversation. The amount of times that, like, me and Faruja, like, we'll, we'll be eating and for four hours talking about hamstrings, fucking yeah. hamstring exercises and like, and, like, I don't know, but, it, but it's like but we get somewhere and we have a great time and it happens a ton right? But that's different. That's debate. Again, like you brought up politics, right? We don't have that anymore. It's like, it's my side or die, right? Your side or die yeah. versus like, nah, let's debate and actually both become better out of this thing with sharing our experiences, sharing our knowledge. And I, I just, you know, I, I will put it on myself to continue doing that, but I would really hope that there's more folks that will take that approach because I think it's better for the people that they coach. And I think it's better for an industry and I think it's better for, you know, the, the social space. Totally agree,
0: especially as it continues to grow. and takes such a big piece in people's lives. Luca, dude, appreciate all your wisdom. Been excellent catching up. Where can we find out more about you?
1: Man, there's a bunch of places, but I, I would say Instagram. My Instagram is at Luca Hosevar. So L U K A H O C E V A R. I share a lot of stuff there. If you put in my name in a YouTube, um, I do a lot of stuff on YouTube. I have a podcast called the Vigor Life Podcast, which is very heavily oriented towards coaches, but I think. If, you, if you're a person that wants to improve, you'll enjoy it. Uh, and then my courses and workshops for for coaches, uh, and my, actually my first program for end user, uh, it's called athlete for life compound V. Hopefully people know what compound V comes from, from the, uh, the, the boys on prime. Um, but it's an eight week program is basically part of the athlete for life series. That's all going to be on Luca And And I'm, I'm sure I missed a whole bunch of other stuff, but like, those are kind of like the main main areas you can find me.
0: Awesome. Guys, make sure to check it out. If you have any questions, drop Luca a message. He's always a, someone who's willing to go the extra mile, give some great advice. And thank you so much for listening. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the look great naked protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to BachPerformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you wanna work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great
1: naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend.